Our scripture reading this morning comes from Acts chapter 2, and we're going to begin in verse 22 and read through verse 32. So I encourage you to follow along uh, in your copy of God's Word or on the screen, um, but follow along as we read from Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. And by the way, uh, this is the, on the day of Pentecost, and this is the Apostle Peter and the other apostles as they begin to share the message of life. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to, accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him up from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites... I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, we come to you, and we are so thankful, we're so grateful for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, for the power of that resurrection. It is the same mighty power that works in us, that brings us from death unto life. It draws us into your family and also empowers us to live for you each and every day. Lord, we pray that we would understand with confidence, with security, that our beliefs are not in vain. Father, but they are based on a historical moment in which you invaded you descended into our world and changed our world forever. Father, we ask now that you would bless the reading and proclamation of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last Sunday, Christians all across the world celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We celebrated the risen Lord. We celebrated that because of our faith. But it's not only because of our faith. 
When God calls us to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, he calls us to believe in one of the most well-documented events in all of history. Here in Acts chapter 2, the disciples of Jesus, who were scared and doubtful and, and worried and concerned so often, especially during that, that uh, weekend of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, and even afterward, many of them were, were unsettled until they uh, were secure in their belief in Christ. But these folks came together on the day of Pentecost after the Holy Spirit had come and filled them with boldness and power and they proclaimed a message which changed the world. There's no doubt about that historically. That this message, the gospel, the good news that Jesus died and was buried and on the third day he rose from the dead. That he died for our sins. That message changed the world. That's unquestionable. No one can deny that. But the question is, was it a, is it a truth that changed the world or, or just some sort of made-up story that happened to change the world? And many people who do not want to uh, think about the implications of God's power and of what God did through Jesus Christ, tend to, to kind of say, well, that's a good story, but that's all it is. And yet the faith of Christians rests not on fanciful thinking, but on solid evidence. There's an interesting uh, book out, just a, actually just a few days ago, it was so new that I couldn't get it in, in print format because I knew that things take longer to get to me. I had to, to read it uh, on, in Kindle format. But it's called The Bedrock of Faith, of Christianity, something like that. And, and here's what the author of that book does. He kind of looks to what uh, was done many years ago by C.S. Lewis, best known for writing the Chronicles of Narnia. But he wrote many, many nonfiction works. And, and he wrote a book called Mere Christianity. And in that book, he said, here's the common things that all Christians believe. It doesn't matter what stripe or flavor they are, if they're some form of, of Protestant, you know, whether it be Anglican or Presbyterian or Methodist or Baptist or whatever. It doesn't matter if they're Protestant, it doesn't matter if they're Catholic, uh, or, or even if they're Orthodox. Here are the, the, the bare essentials that all Christians uh, of all stripes believe in, and that was his work uh, that has influenced so many people called Mere Christianity. Well, in this new book, uh, the author takes a, a similar task, but it's actually kind of broader. And he says, what are the bedrock foundational truths that all biblical scholars would agree on? And when you're some folks might hear that term, well, all biblical scholars, that's just saying the same thing, right? That's all Christians. No, it's not. <laughs> you do not have to be a Christian uh, to be a scholar who is involved in biblical studies and publishes. In fact, there are Christians of all different stripes. Uh, there are um, Jewish folks uh, who, who, are, uh, who study the Bible and scriptures and are scholars in that 
There are even agnostics. There are many people who are biblical scholars, but they say, well, I don't really know. I study this for a living. My life's work is studying the faith, but, but I'm not really sure what I believe. Now, do with that what you will. But among biblical scholars, there's all sorts uh, of places along uh, the, the spectrum of belief. And what the author of this book says is, I want to find out what's the bedrock that everybody agrees on. When he says everybody, he says the 99%. You know, in any form of scholarship, in any field, there's always going to be 1% who's just off there crazy. But the basic consensus, what a 99% of all biblical scholars, whether they're conservatives, liberals, whether they're Christians or Jews, whether they're strong believers or agnostics, what do they all agree on? In the story of Jesus Christ. Well, they all agree, first of all, that Jesus lived. That Jesus was on this earth. You know, there were some folks at one point in time in history who decided to say, well, I think this is all just made up. There wasn't any guy named Jesus. This is just something a bunch of fanatics made up. And yet it is a consensus among every biblical scholar, or I say the 99%, they all say, hey, it's undeniable. The historical facts we have for this man, Jesus, we know he existed. Uh, we, we know the general area where he lived. We know that he gathered followers uh, behind him, around him, that followed him, and they became called disciples. These are foundational stuff that everybody who studies it and knows what they're talking about actually believes. Then everybody agrees that he uh, was put to the cross. That Jesus Christ, that Jesus of Nazareth, that he was crucified. Now, the Romans, uh, they didn't invent crucifixion. Uh, the Persians came up with it. Uh, the, the Greeks kind of worked on it and perfected it. And the Romans put it to mass use. I mean, they were the masters of crucifixion. Uh, it was a horrible and controversial uh, punishment, death. Uh, in that day. Uh, many people could not, even in the ancient world with all its cruelty, many people could not stand the fact that people were nailed to the tree. They were crucified on those beams. And so Jesus would have been one of many folks who were crucified. Crucifixion was generally reserved for the worst of the worst, especially anyone who put Rome and, and its power and its dominance uh, in danger. So insurrectionist uh, would be those, those who tried to stir up trouble. Rome would make a statement, you don't fight Rome. Because if you do, this is what happens. A cruel and humiliating and awful, torturous form of punishment. So all of the scholars out there, they all agree. This man Jesus came. He proclaimed a message. He, he, he had disciples. And he was put to death on the cross. And then they all agree on this. That the earliest believers believed with all of their heart that he rose from the dead and they proclaimed that message. 
Now listen closely. Not everyone agrees that that actually happened. But they all agree. The scholarly consensus is that this was not a fraud that people just made up. Okay? This wasn't some fairy tale they told. This, this didn't come from years and years and years later. Hundreds of years later, we often have in ancient history stories that were, were made up. For example, the first biography of Buddha in recorded history was written almost 500 years after his life. That's the first even historical mention that we can find of him. Just a mention, not, not a biography about him. Comes a couple of hundred years after his life. But here we have recorded in the most ancient of documents, in the Gospels and the Epistles, and, and Paul's letters, which were actually written before the Gospel, just a few years after Jesus died. Uh, 20 years at most, we have recorded that the early believers strongly gave their lives for the belief that Jesus Christ was the resurrected Son of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul gives us a list of the appearances, and there were many of them, of the risen Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 begins in verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve, that's the original set of disciples, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, many of whom are still living, although some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, that is, the brother of Jesus, who did not believe in Jesus during his earthly ministry before the cross. And then to all of the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. The record of the early Christians was that Jesus Christ appeared multiple times to both individuals, small groups, and even a very large group. And that these folks, Paul said, hey, just want you to know most of the, and he's writing 20 years after the fact here, and he says most of them are still alive. If you want to check it out, if you, you know, have you ever said, if you doubt me, go ask so-and-so because they were there? We've probably all said that at some point in our life. It's exactly what Paul was saying here. Hey, there was 500 folks. Now, it's been 20 years, so some of them have gone on to be with the Lord. But you can go and ask the rest of them. Many, many, many of them are still alive and breathing to this day. So, in other words, the... What Paul says is, look, uh, I can tell you, I saw Jesus on the Damascus Road, but many, many, many people saw him well before that. 
He said, mine was kind of an unusual, unnatural thing, but the rest of these folks, they all saw Jesus in those days between his resurrection and his ascension. And not just one, not just two, not just scores, but hundreds of eyewitnesses saw the risen Lord. Oh, they certainly believed they did. Because most of the early Christians, both history and uh, tradition as well, will tell us that they believed so strongly, not only were they persecuted for their faith, but many of them died for their faith. You don't do, some, do that for something that you just made up. A funny little story. And so here's the scholarly consensus. Is that these people all believed that they saw the risen Lord. So here's really the options that you have at this point. If you want to trust the folks who have studied this, Historically and in every way you can possibly scholarly study Jesus Christ and the very basics of his life, it all comes down to two options. Number one, it really did happen. All of these people really did see Jesus Christ rise from the dead. Or it was a hallucination. In fact, a series of hallucinations that happened to individuals, and to groups, and to a large group, hundreds of folks, that somehow multiple people over multiple days had somehow this same mass hallucination that affected everyone, and they were all willing to go to their graves saying, yes, I believe. And some of you may say, well, well you know, hey, they, they believe so strongly Maybe that really is what happened. <laughs> Except we have a, a historical record in the years, a couple hundred years or so surrounding, maybe 150 uh, years or so surrounding Christ, bo both before him and after him. Uh, we have about a dozen messiahs, messiah would-bes that are recorded in scripture, I mean, excuse me, in history. Uh, we do actually hear about one uh, in Scripture, in the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, when they are saying the, the leaders of the day who can't seem to suppress this movement and the powerful word that's going forth, and they're like, what are we going to do with it, about it? And, and finally, the most well-known teacher of that early day, Gamaliel, according to the book of Acts, stood up and said, hey, you know, there's been other pretenders like this before. You know what? When they, when they inevitably die, inevitably their movement scatters. We see it every single time. All these Messiah wannabes, uh, all these folks who say they're going to save everybody, eventually they die, and that's it. Their followers either go find a new Messiah <laughs> To follow, or they just go back and get a regular job and start doing what other people do. He said, but hey, so if we just let these folks go, it's going to peter out. It's, it's going to stop. It's not going to keep on going. But if this is real, 
we better leave it alone because we're going to end up fighting God if it is. And in every single one of these other cases that we know historically of other would-be messiahs, the movements all dissolve. Nobody says, oh, they're back with us. Oh, they're resurrected. That, that wasn't, sometimes we think, oh, this ancient people, they just believed in superstitious stuff. No, people didn't think that way back then any more than they do now. When people were dead, they were dead. They were gone. It was over with. Remember the disciples on the walk to Emmaus that Jesus was walking with, and they didn't know that it was him? And, he, and they were so sad. And they said, we thought he would be the one to save Israel. In their mind, before the knowledge of the resurrection, it was over. As much as they loved Jesus, as much as they thought he was the real deal, when he died, I guess he wasn't. He must have just been a prophet or a good man. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ changed what everybody thought and felt and saw about Jesus. It wasn't the normal reaction to the death of a Messiah to come up with some plan or scheme or dream. No, these folks hid so that they wouldn't be caught up in Rome's grip and be persecuted themselves because their hope in these other Messiahs was over. But when the Messiah, the Christ, known as Jesus, his followers, at the, after they experienced his resurrection appearances on the third day, their movement, instead of shrinking far from it, it exploded across the ancient world. A movement that is historically unexplainable if there was not a true belief that Jesus Christ had not only died, but he had risen from that grave. I love what Peter says here in the book of Acts. He says, death had no hold over him. Death could not stop him. It could not keep him. Death had met its match in Jesus Christ. So what is all this stuff? What is this to us? If you're an unbeliever who happens to be watching this and you really don't know what to think, I want you to ask yourself, just honestly, without bias, one way or the other, how do you explain the documented, undisputed facts of history about Jesus Christ and the movement of Christianity without it being real? What's the option? The option is to say there's one big hallucination. You can go there. Lots of folks have gone there. But that's really the only legitimate option. Well, I don't even know if I'll say it's legitimate, but <laughs> it's there. And I want to encourage you, if you are not yet a believer, that you would consider the claims of Jesus Christ you may hear all kinds of crazy things out there on the internet and in society. But those who have studied say, hey, historically, 
You can't get something any stronger than what this is. But if you are a believer, I want you to be reassured today that what you believe is not based on a bunch of wishful thinking, but it is based on the best, most historical evidence for any religion in the ancient world. And Peter stood up on that day, and the last verse I read, he said, And we are witnesses of this. Peter said, This isn't some fanciful story. This isn't a joke. This isn't a rumor. We are all witnesses of this. Who's the we there? I believe it referred to all 120 people who were gathered on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon them. 120 men and women who were all eyewitnesses and that portion of the eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ who had all gathered together on that day. And they went out to the people and they began to preach and teach and share the message of the gospel. And Peter said, ask any of us. We are all witnesses. So when you practice your faith and when you share your faith, I believe you can do so with confidence. And one other thing for believers, just as they told their story, I believe that you and I, when we are sharing our faith, not only do we tell the story of the death, burial, and resurrection of our life, but we tell our own story about how the great story has impacted us. How the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ has changed our story. One of the great hymns says, You ask me how I know he lives, he lives within my heart. The message of our faith, when we share the gospel, is not only that we believe wholeheartedly what the witnesses to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ have passed on to us, and we agree when they say we are witnesses, we believe that, but also we witness what God himself has done in our lives. We are all witnesses. That was Peter's statement for the believers on the day of Pentecost when the church was born. And I believe that is the statement that describes all of us as believers today. We are witnesses that we heard the story, we believed the story, And we have been transformed by the story. And we are all witnesses of what Jesus Christ has done in our own hearts. Would you pray with me this morning? God, we come to you. And Lord, we're so thankful that that we do not believe in some cleverly made up fable or fairy tale but we believe in what you did in the greatest event in history you sent your son to live a perfect life to teach and to preach and to love and to heal and that according to your plan 
he was taken by evil folks. And he died, not just because of them, but he died for every single one of us for our sins. He was buried in that tomb. But your word says that death had no hold on him. And that on that third day, he rose from the dead. And that we can say together, hallelujah, he is alive. Father, as we trust those witnesses, Lord, may we, may we be reassured in our faith. And Father, may we share our faith. May we share not only the message of the first witnesses, but the message of what we have witnessed Christ do in our own lives. Lord, give us courage and faith and obedience to do just that. God, we pray and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.